Hello, University of Memphis Tigers. Welcome to the How to Deal podcast. My name is Tim White, and I am a psychologist here in the Counseling Center at the University of Memphis. We're located in Wilder Tower. Um, and for those of you who may be interested in learning more about our services or looking into utilizing some of our services, um, please feel free to give us a call at 901 678 2068. Again, that's 901-678-2068. For the time being, we are doing all of our sessions virtually through a secure platform, Um, but please feel free to give us a call, get connected with us. Uh, We also have a lot of information on our website. Uh, With that in mind, please be mindful that the information within this podcast is used for informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for mental health or for uh, professional services. So if you are uh, in need of professional assistance, please get in touch with us. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis or feel unsafe in any sort of way, um, please uh, seek assistance by calling 901-678-HELP. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. Uh, or if you're in immediate crisis or need immediate assistance, uh, you can also visit your nearest emergency room or call 911. So with some of that housekeeping information out of the way, uh, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic, which is resilience. So when we think about resilience, I want to start with this piece of what do we think of? What comes to mind when we hear the word resilience? You know, I know for me, from the sports background, it's this idea of somebody who never gives up, someone who is always fighting to the end. Uh, sometimes we hear the phrase, bend it, but don't break. Um, and like I said, there's similar applications to school. So perhaps I'm somebody who is pursuing uh, a, a medical degree and I'm pre-med. And so I'm going through my various science courses, chemistry and biology and physics and so on, and and maybe that uh, chemistry isn't a particularly strong subject for me. Uh, But I push through something like a tough chemistry course or even the organic chemistry courses that might be required. So this idea of working through hardship um, certainly comes to mind. And there's value in in those sorts of ideas. Uh, Perhaps a better term to describe some of what I've just laid out is perseverance. Um, but nonetheless, those are some of the things that come to mind when we hear this word perseverance or, um, resilience, excuse me. And I think what that does is I lay some of that out and I highlight the relationship that it has to perseverance is it actually indicates that the word resilience is often misused and even misunderstood. Uh, so to get a little bit more specific for you all today. Uh, Let me offer a little bit of a formal definition that comes out of some of the research. And the research has shown or highlighted the definition of resilience to be the ability to effectively respond to some sort of setback, failure, hardship, challenge, or adversity. Okay, so let me say that again. Resilience is the ability to effectively respond to some sort of setback, failure, hardship, challenge, or adversity. The term adversity is the one that's going to get used the most. 
okay? Within resilience, there's this idea of, like I was saying earlier, kind of bend, don't break, or we also hear the phrase bouncing back. Uh, and that, again, it isn't quite right, you know? Specifically speaking, when we think about resilience, it does involve adapting and developing beyond the pre-adversity state. So it's not just getting back to where we were before. Sometimes where we were before isn't really where we want to be. So with regard to resilience, it doesn't necessarily make sense to get back to that pre-adversity state. Sometimes uh, we, most of the time, we want to engage in some sort of change, some sort of adaptation, some sort of constructive or meaningful development with regard to the experience that we've had. So again, it's the ability to effectively respond to adversity in a constructive way that involves developing beyond the pre-adversity state. I mentioned a little bit this idea of being careful with the idea of bouncing back, okay? We also want to be careful with ideas like coming back stronger than ever. So my previous career uh, working in sports, I used to do sports medicine. And this was something that we heard all the time. We hear people talk about after they got hurt and they had a significant injury or they had to have surgery or something like that. We would hear people things, say things like, I'm going to come back stronger than ever. And it's a great concept. It's a great principle. There's nothing wrong with having that sense of optimism and that desire or that motivation. Um, the challenge with that is the fact that coming back stronger than ever doesn't happen nearly as often as we think it does. It's been uh, portrayed in, in movies and highlighted in various stories and blogs. Uh, and it's been kind of romanticized a little bit, this idea of getting hurt and then coming back stronger than ever. Uh, and it certainly does happen but it's not the norm. And so we need to be mindful of the way in which we use some of these phrases and some of the terms that we have. Uh, that can be very encouraging and motivating in some instances, uh, but at the same time can kind of set people up with a little bit of a false sense of hope. Um, and so we certainly don't want to uh, create that either. Uh, the other thing to be careful or mindful of is it's not just simply having a positive attitude. You know, that there's certainly a lot of value and benefit to things like positive psychology and, and the mindset that we take into certain experiences or events. Um, but this notion of a positive attitude uh, has, again, been a little bit romanticized a little too much. And it's a fine line. We need it. We need more of it in a lot of instances in our life. Uh, but it's not necessarily the solution or the answer to everything uh, that we face, especially with regard to adversity. When we think about, um, you know, say failing an exam or experiencing some sort of traumatic event, you know, that there's a time and place for positivity. Uh, and there is a time and place uh, where we need to allow ourselves the opportunity to really experience and sit with some difficult emotion 
you know, if I've gone through some sort of traumatic event, you know, of, you know, quote unquote, a real trauma, uh, I wouldn't call failing an exam a, a traumatic event, you know, but, but some sort of assault or um, something along those lines. Uh, we need the opportunity to experience the real pain that comes with those types of events. You know, oftentimes it, it's not uncommon for people to try and suppress the emotions and thoughts that come with some of those difficult events. Uh, but we know that doing so actually prolongs the difficulty. And, and so there's, uh, again, a, a delicate balance here of acknowledging and experiencing the very real pain that comes with adversity. Um, but at the same time, also knowing how much is enough or how much is too much. Now, I, I give the example of like a traumatic event. Now, of course, adversity doesn't have to be trauma. Failing an exam can be a form of adversity. If I am pursuing medical school and I fail an exam or I, or I get a C minus on that chemistry test or whatever, um, it, it creates a scenario where now I'm, I'm facing an uphill battle in terms of achieving the grades that I need to be successful in my ultimate pursuit of uh, medical school. And so that is another instance where we are facing adversity and, and certainly um, having a positive attitude can be beneficial, but it's not, an, it's not all you need to do. If you fail that exam or say it's a C minus or whatever, um, there needs to be some modifications. There needs to be some change with regard to how you uh, engage in your studies, how you engage in the course, what you are doing to actually prepare for the exam. That's the adaptation. That's the modification or the change that exhibits resilience because you're using those to move yourself forward towards that goal of medical school. Uh, simply being positive isn't going to be enough to help you for that next exam. Okay. And I mentioned persistence a little bit earlier. There's, there's uh, a similarity here. Uh, but it's not quite the same. There's a slight a, a difference there. You know, persistence is very effort-based, uh, where resilience evolves, involves uh, change or adaptation. So I'm kind of picking apart the way that we are looking at the word resilience. But uh, the reason I'm doing that is to ensure that we are understanding what the term actually means, so that we can actively exhibit it within our lives on a day-to-day -day basis or, or as needed. Hopefully you're not needing it on a daily basis. Um, but we know that we face various forms of adversity throughout our lives, whether it's academics or athletics or my home life or relationships or whatever the case may be. And we run into instances that can be described as adverse or some sort of setback or hardship or failure um, semi-regularly. So the ability to adapt and evolve as we move forward is pretty important. So when we think about this idea of resilience, the question does become, how do we apply this to our everyday life? Uh, a lot of people are talking about learning from your mistakes. You know, some people will say, well, there's, there's no such thing as failure. I either succeed or I learn from my mistakes. Okay, you know, I get it. That's it, kind of a cute, fun little phrase. Um, 
I don't completely buy into it because, you know, there is such a thing as failure. Failure is not necessarily, um, quote unquote, a bad thing. We don't want to fail. It's undesirable. Um, but it's a very normal part of the human experience. Think about children who, toddlers, you know, young children, barely a year old, I think is when most kids learn to walk. And they will try and stand up and fall back down. And then they'll stand up and maybe move a little bit this way and then fall back down. Or they're holding on to different objects around the room as they start to navigate uh, the concept of walking. Uh, it, but it, it, this process of not only getting back up, because that's the returning to the pre-adversity state, right? Now, falling down isn't necessarily a major adversity, but to a toddler at that stage in life, you know, it's a major challenge. Um, the thing that they do to move beyond that is adapting the ways in which they try to move about the room. Holding on to something might be that example or um, enhancing their balance. Now that, that one's a little bit tricky because gee, I don't know many toddlers and in terms of getting inside their head, you can't really do a whole lot to really know how they're enhancing their balance, but it's the body that's adapting. It's the muscles, it's the connection between the brain and the, and the body, the legs and the torso and so forth that allows the child to balance as they move forward. Think about riding a bike. It's a very similar principle. As the body becomes more conscious and aware of what it is to be pedaling a bike and to feel itself starting to tip over and then make a correction, you know, the first couple of times it's not going to make that correction and we do fall. But as the body and the mind start to recognize that the bike is starting to tip over and we're starting to fall, various muscles will contract. That's the adaptation, that's the positive, or not the positive, that's the corrective change, the adaptation. Okay. So failure does happen in life. It's a normal part of our experience and it's actually a pretty important part of learning to exhibit resilience. And I use the phrase learning to exhibit resilience little bit purposefully because sometimes people ask the question well are we born with it you know some people are just born resilience or resilient or just born mentally tough or whatever um, or is it developed there's plenty of research that shows that resilience as a characteristic that we exhibit can be developed it's not just something we're born with or not it's it's not that simple it's not that black or white um, Certainly some people may be born per se with a little bit more of that characteristic to start with, but it doesn't mean that you either have it or you don't. In fact, with something like resilience, their early childhood experiences often have a lot to do with how much resilience we're able to display because we develop it through those early childhood experiences. So the short answer is yes, it can be developed. Some of the things that contribute to the development of that resilience are, are the ways in which we're able to exhibit resilience 
um, is the attitudes and perceptions that we take out of the different experiences we have, as well as into the different experiences we have. When we think about our motivation and why we are doing the things that we are doing, that is a big factor that plays into resilience because that will play into the persistence piece of resilience. In a way, persistence, although it is a separate thing, contributes to resilience. So I'm going to say that again. Persistence may be different than resilience, but it contributes to resilience. And motivation influences how persistent we are with a given task. So the question that some people will throw out there that I think is a pretty valuable question is, what is your why? Using the school example, why are you in school? And the easy answer is, you know, to get a get a degree and get a better job, you know, but if I ask you again, why, and we apply that why question to, well, why is it important to get a degree or get a better job? Then we start to get into the deeper layers of our motivation. And when we continue to ask that question, why, we're basically peeling back the layers of the onion until we get deep down into the center and really get a sense of why is this important to me? Why is my education important to me? Why is a, uh, a stable career important to me? Uh, in my case, uh, you know, I went back to school. What's my motivation for uh, going back to school more than a decade into my career? When I get down into the deeper layers of my motivation, it's ultimately to offer my family a specific lifestyle and to exhibit the characteristics that I found particularly meaningful and valuable in my childhood. I didn't know it at the time, but as I got older and was able to reflect back on the experiences I had as a child, and I think about the life that I want to provide my family, I'm able to get into those deeper layers of motivation. And with that, I'm able to uh, persevere and therefore I'm more capable of exhibiting resilience. Confidence comes into play as well. Uh, confidence, uh, there's a couple different ways to look at it, but generally speaking, it's one's ability, excuse me, one's belief in their ability. Okay, so where does this belief in my ability come from? My ability to be successful as a student or as an athlete or as an employee or even as a, a spouse in a, a married relationship or, or a dating relationship, uh, romantic partner, whatever the case may be, we develop this sense of I can be successful in this role or in this experience based on past experiences. When we've been successful in the past, that's a huge contributor to this sense of confidence. When we see other people do something and we're able to make a uh, comparison between ourselves and that other person, you know, I, I, as a student, I uh, have comparable abilities uh, as my peers, or as an athlete, I have uh, stronger abilities than the person on the other team or whatever the case may be. When we see other people have success and we're able to relate their success or their abilities to our abilities, that contributes to that sense of, I believe I can do that too. Okay. Uh, receiving uh, praise or encouragement from other people is also another way to boost 
and this element of confidence when other people let us know that hey you're capable of doing this you can be successful in this class on this exam uh, in this competition we really hold on to that and it has a lot of meaning for us and that ties into this element of uh, perceived social support when we are supported by other people around us more and more research in so many different areas of life is coming out and is telling us that the so social support that we have around us is incredibly important to many different things in life and in this case resilience so think about the resources that you have around you whether it's a teacher or a parent or peers or other significant people in your life maybe even coaches being able to communicate with them and, and express uh, hopes and desires and concerns and uncertainties and being able to receive support from them can have a big part in helping you develop and exhibit resilience. And the last piece here uh, is uh, our ability to focus and control our attention. That's a little bit harder to do. Uh, and sometimes it's a little bit of an abstract concept, but we have the ability to control where our attention goes. And when we have negative thoughts enter in our, into our mind, uh, it's a very normal thing that happens very often. Um, but we do have the ability to control whether or not we pay attention to those negative thoughts or whether or not we redirect our attention to something else that is more meaningful, that is more productive within our life. Okay. So I've thrown a couple things out there to help us think about how we can develop our resilience and exhibit it uh, when we face adverse experiences. Let's use a couple examples specific to our current situation globally with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I personally, like many people, you know, we're getting a little tired hearing about this. And in some ways we've evolved and adapted um, to the current reality and, and quote unquote, the new normal. Um, but in a lot of ways, there are many examples where people have exhibited great resilience within COVID. And there are examples of people who uh, perhaps could exhibit greater levels of resilience and perhaps are kind of holding themselves back a little bit. Okay, so I think of exercising, being very uh, involved in athletics and such exercises is a big part of my life. And certainly gyms are closed around most of the country. Uh, some places they're a little further along in the reopening. Uh, and so some places they are open, but they're open in a different capacity. You know, so when I would have gone and run on the treadmill previously, well, now maybe I'm running outside. Okay. I'm evolving, I'm adapting, I'm changing the way that I get that cardiovascular exercise. I'm choosing to use a different mode of exercise, a different type of exercise. Okay, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Okay, weight rooms, how am I supposed to build my strength and my muscle, you know, when I don't have access to the weight rooms like I used to? Okay, a lot of weight rooms are they are evolving they are changing they're asking people to schedule sessions at first that sounds like oh man that's a pain i have to schedule my session to go and work out i have to tell them what time i'm going to be there and then what if i don't want to go at that time well i would actually suggest that 
scheduling your exercise session is actually a good thing. And here's why, because many of the people that I'm talking to in the counseling center are expressing concern around the fact that their routine has been thrown off or they don't have any structure in their day. Well, when I have to schedule my workout for four o'clock in the afternoon or seven in the morning or whatever time I choose, I have built structure into my day. And if I choose to do that consistently throughout the week, now I am building routine into my daily schedule and I'm exhibiting control over an aspect of this experience that is largely out of our control. That has very useful benefits to us with regard to psychological health and well-being. Our sense of control within a given situation is really important. So like I said, something that initially may be perceived as a hassle could actually be beneficial, you know, and even using the equipment and and there's certainly a lot of emphasis and uh, energy being put into making sure that the equipment gets cleaned between uh, users and so on and so forth. That's not necessarily new in weight rooms, but perhaps one of the beneficial adaptations that will come out of this is people will be more diligent and cognizant of cleaning weight room equipment. You know, eventually we're going to get out of the pandemic. Eventually gyms and weight rooms will reopen to quote unquote normal use. Uh, and hopefully one of the benefits of this type of experience is that people are more mindful of cleaning equipment in the future. Sticking with the exercise theme, uh, a lot of people are getting creative with regard to doing things out in public spaces, green spaces, like yoga in the park, walking around uh, trails and sidewalks. And, um, you know, we live here in Memphis. There's the Green Line Trail. Uh, taking advantage of those types of spaces where we can still get some physical activity and get some exercise using simply a flight of stairs. You can do an entire workout going up and down a flight of stairs. Um, so let's step away from the exercise thing a little bit. Let's get into the social piece. A lot of people are feeling isolated. A lot of people feeling very alone, not able to connect with peers, friends, loved ones. Um, but I want to give an example of uh, some neighbors of mine who found a very creative way to adapt and to evolve, to exhibit resilience within this COVID situation. These were individuals who uh, are older and uh, very much fall into one of the categories of uh, quote unquote at risk or, or greater risk with regard to COVID. Um, but every week they would hold a socially distanced um, meal, evening meal, Sunday evening meal. And what they would do is instead of inviting, you know, some of their neighbors and, and loved ones who lived nearby to come in and sit inside and be around the a dining room table where everybody obviously is sitting much closer together and so on and so forth what they would do is they would actually go out into the garage they would they would leave their cars out of the garage and they would between the garage and the driveway they had enough space where everybody could have a chair and a little uh, tray in front of them where they could put their food uh, and everybody could sit far enough apart that they were following the various guidelines that were in place for our community uh, but yet they were able to have social engagement, social interaction. Unfortunately, social distancing is a little bit of a 
a misnomer because it's really about physical distance. It doesn't mean that we completely isolate ourselves or, or remove ourselves from social situations. We need to be more creative about how we do these things. Okay. And that's the key here. I, I'm going to start wrapping things up here. Um, but when we think about exhibiting resilience, especially within this time of COVID, we need to do so. We need to navigate our day-to-day -day life in such a way that we are creative and adaptive and we find new ways to engage in daily activities so that we can participate in day-to-day -day life without exposing ourselves to potential illness. We need to use this creativity so that we can preserve both our physical and our mental health. So that does it for me for today's episode. Like I said, we want to do as much as we can to preserve our physical and mental health. Obviously follow the local guidelines that we are all working with. Do your part to help minimize the spread of COVID, but at the same time, uh, do what you need to to find an appropriate middle ground and maintain your mental health and well-being as well. So thank you very much for joining me today, and we look forward to seeing you on future podcasts.